I want to ask you a question to begin our message today is what energizes you? What is the thing that motivates you, that propels you, that keeps you moving in your life? For some, it's the work of our hands. For some of us, we love to work with our hands and we're energized when we get to make something. It might not be your job, but you love to create things with your hands. Some of you are good at that kind of stuff. You love to do the hands. The rest of you, none of you are good. Some of you are Is he going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do? Others of us, you're energized by maybe being outside, doing sports or climbing a hill or hiking or walking or you, you just... You just love to get outside. Now, how many of you love to be outdoors for whatever reason? You might have a double raise on some of that. Yeah, especially right now in this beautiful uh, time of the weather that we're having. Some of you like learning new things. You like discovering new things. You, you maybe you like books or whatever, but you love to learn new things. That really energizes you. Anybody like that? It's like, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, others of us are energized by being with our, our family. We love our family. Some of us are energized by being with our friends and we just the connection and the, the interchange between them and the laughing and patting on the back and, hey, you too, kind of all that happened to me. How many like that? That's kind of energizing for you, right? Those are all energizers, I think, and they're all very, very good. Well, during the week, sometimes other things can creep in to energize us. Um, here's one. I must. Do you ever get yourself in a place where you are trying to energize yourself by, I must do this, and, um, and I am going to do this, I am going to get this done, and you, you clench your teeth, you clench your fists, and with God's help, I'm going to get through this. That's a one way that we can try to energize us, but eventually that has some repercussions in the bad way back to us, right? That's, I must do this. The other one is, um, <clears throat> I must not. You know, you know some things that you don't want to do, and then you, you really uh, kick in uh, the I must not do this thing. You know what that's like, right? I am not going to eat that second donut. I am not going to get frustrated with the person in, in the traffic who's just ahead of me that seems to have all the time in the world, or the guy behind you just seems to be in a hurry, uh, and you're going the speed limit, and they, they want to go twice the speed, right? None of you are like that, but... But then there's the other motivator. I want to. I get to. I do things because I love them, right? If you found yourself in those categories of what motivates you, when you think about your week, maybe even this last week, where did you spend the most energy on? I must do, I won't do, or I want to. There was one thing that energized Jesus. There's one thing that propelled him, that motivated him, that directed his life. It's the same thing that we can energize us. It can energize us and motivate us in all of our relationships. It can motivate us to want to make a difference somehow in this world, that I want to contribute, however small, to this world. For other of us, it's, it's really that one thing motivates us because we're excited and we want to see Jesus do stuff in people's life, just like he did in Dawson's. In John chapter 4, Jesus reveals what was that thing that energized him, that motivated him. 
It's interesting. It begins the story that Jesus purposely goes through a place he's not supposed to go through of a different race. And he purposes to go through a place called Samaria. And this is where Jewish people would never go. And his disciples follow him through and they sit down and they're very tired. It says that Jesus sat down and he wearily sat next to a well. He was exhausted. He was totally exhausted. He had taken a long walk. He was tired. He sat next to a well. I imagine he's thirsty. He doesn't have anything to get the water from, and he's thirsty. And then his disciples go into town to get food. So he's tired, thirsty, and hungry. Not a great moment for being very energized. But he was there on purpose. He was there to meet a woman. We're not going to spend as much time on this story with him and the the woman, but we're going to spend some time at the other end. What motivated Jesus to do this crazy thing? First of all, he met with a woman, and in those times, men and women that were not married did not generally talk to each other, especially if you were from a different race. Samaritans and Jewish people did not talk. And she comes up to get water, and he asks her a simple question, Can you give me something to drink? He's violated at least five codes at the time that he was not supposed to do. And so he engages this woman and he builds a bridge to her to try to understand where she is and build that bridge to where he's directing her and where God is moving in her life. He builds a bridge to her because she had many, many broken relationships and bad experiences with men. He builds a bridge between two genders and two races and and some confusion that she had about both religion and God. Some pride that was kind of part of the Jewish race that we're a little bit better. We're more religious. He was trying to break down the barriers and help her know that, no, God looks at your heart. He ends where she confesses or she, she acknowledges that this is someone special. And he says, yes, I am the Messiah. So here he is sitting next to the well, and the woman's next to him, and his disciples come up. These are Jewish guys, rough and tumble guys. They know the rules, and this is breaking all the rules. They're thinking, somebody should say something. Does Jesus not know this is not a protocol? You're not supposed to do this? You're not supposed to talk to these people, these women, these sinners, these Gentiles, these lowlife? But it says in the scripture, no one had enough nerve to talk to him about it. You can imagine the disciples in the back, what is going on with this guy? He can't figure him out. Yeah, but he does these miracles. He tells these parables. I mean, parables. And we're so excited about those. Maybe he's trying to tell us something. So the woman goes back into town and the disciples are there and they had brought food. They're confused. They're, they're crazy with curiosity, but they they don't have a guts to tell him anything. So they just blurt out, Rabbi, eat something. It's a good thing to do when you don't know what to do. Um, why don't you just eat something? A very awkward social situation happens. Doesn't somebody want to eat? You're at the table. You're with your relatives, and they start arguing. I think... Um, Cookies, anyone? That's how I, I kind of think that, that the situation was. And uh, Jesus says to him something that reveals what really energizes him. 
the thing that motivates him. He says something that totally floors them. He says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Now, this would be even more perplexing for this group of guys. I'm sure they turned to one another, give knowing glances and said, did you did someone bring him something to eat? I know they didn't have fast food back then, but maybe someone said, hey, did, did, did someone go to McDonald's and pick him up some food or Safeway or Hagen? No, they closed down. Maybe they went to Freddy's. And they're, 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 they're talking amongst themselves and they're saying, did someone give him something to eat? And in this perplexed moment, when the disciples are totally floored by who he engaged with and what he is saying, he drops the bomb. He tells them the one thing that motivates him. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me from finishing his work. Oh, it's the God thing. We should have known. He was always talking about this God thing. We just are so slow. We should have picked up on this. Well, they didn't say that, but I imagine they might have thought it. What energizes Jesus? The will of the Father. Doing the will of the Father. How is this motivating? How is this motivating that doing the will of the Father motivates Jesus and has some insight into us when could, what could be a primary motivator for all that we do in our life? The will of God. The will of God is not some God up in heaven stoically saying, the people of earth, do my will. And it echoes throughout the world and everybody goes, oh. We must do the will of God. It's not God, like God is some kind of traffic cop telling you when you're off track or some patrol guard who says, keep off the lawn. You're doing the wrong thing. That's not the image of the will of God. For God is a person. The will of the father. Father is a word of relationship. My father uh, I, I talked to him last week. My father is 84 years old, and, and um, we haven't had the smoothest ride in our family, in our relationships. I found out as I grew up that my father was a sinner, and he was imperfect, and he wasn't everything I thought he was when he was little. And of course, I was too. My father frustrated me, and I'm sure I frustrated him. It wasn't a perfect relationship, but there's one thing that I believe, no matter how or what kind of relationship you have with your father, whether you had a great relationship or a frustrating relationship, whether you were close or distant, every little boy and little girl in their core really wants to please their father. They would just long to hear their father say to them, I love you. Good job. Many of us in this room have experienced that. Many of us have not. You have had a hard time in life because you know it's been difficult because you never got that from your father. But that's not the image of the father here. I long to please my father, and I sure didn't want to get in trouble because I wanted to please my father and his father. I think Dawson up here represents a great family behind him because his father and he have an awesome relationship. It's and the whole family's here to support him. But even more so, what Dawson has discovered is that he now has a 
different kind of relationship with his heavenly father that is a stronger motivator to stay on the course with, with what he should do with his life than anything else. Jesus had a connection with his father. And notice what motivated Jesus to do the will of the father wasn't because God was a stern taskmaster waiting to reprove people when they get off track and they step on the lawn and they go over the boundaries. Listen to what Jesus said when he connects why I do what I do with his relationship with the father. He says this, John chapter 14, 31. I do what the father requires of me. Good boy. That's kind of the good boy thing. Okay, I do what the father requires me. And here's the secret. So that the world will know that I love the father. It was out of his love for his father he wanted to do the will of God. He's motivated by that one thing, God's will. What is God's will? God's will, I believe, from beginning of time is that every person would flourish on this earth. That every person would be blessed and they would be a blessing to others. That every person would experience his grace and it would be a grace that would last forever. From the beginning of time, even though people messed up, disappointed God, sinned, got off track, God never changed his mind. His design for each one of us in this room was that all of us would be blessed and all of us would flourish. And we would be a blessing to others. We wouldn't keep it to ourselves. You know it all breaks down when it becomes just about me and not about we. That God wants all of us together to experience and know his goodness. Then Jesus reveals that he wants us to do the same. That we would discover that the heart of God, the will of God can be the primary motivator in all of our lives. The point is that the will of the Father motivates us when we are weary and tired and discouraged and don't seem to have enough to do what we need to do in life. What about, your, what about you and what energizes you? You think about it. Maybe some of you may are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. It says, your will be done there. That's not just a capitulation to say, well, fatalistic, oh, well, well, your will be done, God. Just like, whatever. When you pray, your will be done, it's a very, very powerful prayer. Because when you do, with your whole heart, you are opening yourself up to the God who created this world with all of his power and with all of his energy, and you're saying your will be done, and his power and his energy comes in you, your will be done. The will of the Father is a greater vision for your life than my, and in my life. If you were an Olympic swimmer, you would be probably motivated by that one thing you want to do. You want to be the excellent swimmer, and you want to win the race as you swim, perhaps to get the gold. And that is the vision that you have that you want to win that race. Some of you are, are parents in this room, mothers particularly. You're willing to go through the, the, the pain of, of childbirth and then the pain of raising your kids. Also, because you, you look for the joy of having that child and then hopefully that child will grow up to be the kind of person that you always envision. You're willing to do that because you have a vision and a plan that you would love to see your kids yeah. Maybe you remember when you were four years old and you were motivated to be a good boy or a good girl around Christmas time. 
You wanted to get that one little present? Same thing. When we, in, when we see and understand the great vision that God has for us, the will of God for us, it can be a huge motivator. He wants us to flourish. He wants to bless us. He wants to see us prosper. And he wants to see every person, I believe, on this earth prosper. But often things get in the way. Think about this last week. Perhaps you had some conflict this last week. You don't point at anybody. But maybe you had some disagreements that didn't go well last month. Maybe you have an ongoing one that's still bothering you, this conflict with another individual, difference of opinion, or some roadblock to get you where you wanted to go and you were frustrated, and you found yourself not behaving as you wish you would. It's like, you're, it's like as if your will to, you want to be the nice person, you, you want to engage people, but there's this problem here, this person, and you want to engage that, but you find yourself somehow not quite having the energy to be the kind of person you know you want to be. You see, your willpower is not something that you have 100% all the time. This was uh, kind of brought to light again in a book, a business book called The One Thing. Excellent book on focusing on what is the one thing. And in that book... Um, a guy named Gary Keller talks about willpower is not unlimited. You have to manage it. Think about when you've ever capitulated to temptation or given in to and becoming less than you really wanted to be. When was that? Is when your willpower, for whatever reason, wasn't quite up to snuff. My wife has asked me recently, are you grumpy? Yes, I am. Okay, just wondering. What happens, I talked to Becca about this recently, what happens when I get that way? I have, a, I have depleted my willpower, and I can tell you why I did not stop. I went constantly, day and night, just work, 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 and didn't give myself a break, and my willpower erodes. You do not have 100% willpower all day long, seven days a week. It eventually will, de it will deplete. As a gal in uh, Prevention Magazine, Catherine Vose says, willpower is like gas in your car. When you resist something tempting, tempting, you use it up. Did you ever find that true? The more you resist, the emptier your tank gets and you run out of gas. You have to recharge. You need to recharge when you come home weary from school or from work or an interchange with someone else or maybe you're just weary in general. But something can kick in that can be totally energized, even when you're tired, even when you're weary. And I believe it's the will of God. You might have experienced it on a lesser basis. That you have been tired or weary, and then you've had the chance to engage and have a conversation with a friend. And even though you were tired, and even though you were weary, you had this great conversation, and it kind of picked you up. I have many, many times where, where people gather together in small groups through our church, and and they come in tired. And they go, you know, I almost didn't come today. I'm just like dragging my feet. Maybe some of you didn't come because you know what that's like. And they, but when they talk about God and they talk about life and they talk about what's going in there and, 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 they, and they interchange a little bit, they go away revived. And they're still, you know what it's like? 
Or maybe you've had an opportunity you, that you've given of yourself to someone else, even though you were tired, even though you were weary, and it was energizing to you. Christians are, are called to do things by God's energy because eventually my inner resources can erode. I ask you to think about, ask, say that, Lord, your will be done. Lord, I need your vision. I need your will in my life. This last week I had a chance to go to, uh, into a prison and visit a friend of mine. That friend of mine, like uh, others, have, have made bad decisions in his life. Anybody been there? He made some bad decisions. That's why he's there. But this man understood the will of God, and he submitted his life to God in the middle of all that junk. Think about the most de-energizing place you could be. Everybody tells you what to do, when to get up, what kind of food you can eat, and you can't get out. How demotivating. But not for him. He has submitted his life to the will of God. He's already asked, talked to two people, and they've given their life to God. He's formed a small group, and he's got a network of people, and he's given his names. There's like 12 names on my list there, a prayer list, that he's praying to believing for God. In that moment, he is motivated because the will of God he's submitted to, and it works through him, in and through him. I've watched many of the volunteers of our church Give even when they're tired and weary. Some of you are going to shake their heads. You know what that's like. <clears throat> and God has used you even when you don't have what it seems to what it takes. And he still works through you. And sometimes he works even better. This is what it looks like to receive the will of God and to give the will of God. So much of this world is motivated by ego, greed, lust, push, shove, get I must do or I must not do or I'm going to indulge. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I think sometimes people don't want the will of God because they don't think it's good. It's good. When you taste the will of God, when you submit to the will of God, it's good. It's pleasing. Oh, this is good. I've given myself to God. This is so pleasing. And it's perfect, meaning it's perfectly fitted for you. This is what I was designed for. This is what it looks like to find that energy in the will of the Father. Jesus, after he says these words, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. He says, now you, to his disciples. Pay attention, be alert, because the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe. What does he mean by that? There are people who are receptive, hungry, looking for the nourishment that comes to having a fatherly relationship with God as I'm speaking today. They're ripe and ready, and they're looking for it, and all it needs is one person who says, I will do the will of God. I will be that person to present to them this energizing love that I have for my father. You can have it too. People are ready. I have to be receptive to that good and pleasing and perfect will of God, rightly fitted for who I am, and then I give that to others. It's the love of the father that motivates us. It's the love of the father knowing he transforms us, that Jesus died for us, he rose from us, from the dead for us, and then I can identify with him that motivates us. 
God has a bigger plan for me than I do for myself. He has something far more energizing than my willpower because sometimes I have to go on to God and say, Lord, my will is kind of weak right now. Your will be done. I need your will. Even when I'm weak, the Bible says I can be strong. In fact, sometimes God can be even stronger in us when we feel the weakest. The will of God is good, desirable, perfectly fitted for you. And when you're in sync with that, you love it. You want nothing more because there's nothing better. I'd like you to pray with me. Would you close your eyes right now? It's a very diverse group of people here today. But I know, unfortunately, in our world, the father image of God has gotten a little tainted because you might have had a not a very good relationship with your father. But you're still kind of driven. You really are driven because you really would like to please your father. And you are frustrated because you may never, ever get it. For whatever reason, your father can't verbalize it, can't express it. So you have a heavenly father. That's the perfect image of a father who loves you. And his will for you is only good, only pleasing, and only perfect for you. And I'm just asking you today, Will you submit to the will of God? Will you pray, Lord, your will be done because it's good? Will you give that to him? Even if you've had a good image of God, sometimes we resist God because we don't understand him. We think he's always mad at us. We're always in trouble. I had to learn to get over that as a kid. That was one of my biggest obstacles. I thought I was always in trouble. For you, you need to say, Lord, your will be done because it's much better. It's much better. It's much better when I receive the will of God as his loving mercy in my life. And it's much better, better when I give and, and follow him wholeheartedly. It's so much more joyful for him. Some of you, this may be your turning point as it has been for many in this room and it has been for Dawson. Maybe it's not been as dramatic as some, but you're saying, yeah, I really want to kind of get in sync with God again. I've been out of sync with him, and I need to get back in sync with him. I know his will is much better than the one I've designed for myself. God, would you help me to do that? Would you stand with me? And I would like you to repeat a prayer with me, whether it's your first time or you've prayed it a hundred times. I would like you all to reaffirm your love for God, the Heavenly Father. In this moment, it can be maybe just a little movement in your life, just a little bit, or it could be dramatic. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're just kind of discovering what it means to follow Jesus, it can be energizing for you. Would you bow with, with me in prayer? And would you repeat after me? Dear God, thank you that you are a loving Heavenly Father. Thank you that you are good and you want good for me. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us the love of God. Please forgive me for my mistakes. I want to follow your will. We pray in Christ's name.